Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey everybody, it's Devin with a short announcement. We are planning a live taping of the Bay that we want to invite you to. It's going to be May 13th at 5.30 in the evening over Zoom, and it'll be with a special guest, KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos. You'll get to see a little bit behind the scenes of how we tape our interviews, and you'll get a chance to ask us some questions about our production process and also about how COVID might affect the 2020 elections. You can find a link to RSVP for free in our show notes. So on the Bay, we've been talking about how the pandemic is reshaping the Bay Area's future. And we're going to make these types of episodes a more regular part of our show because this pandemic has shown us just how fragile our society's been. And one place where people's lives have been hit really hard is restaurants. Restaurants were hard to operate even before COVID. And now there've been mass layoffs, businesses have closed, and the road back to dining in is unclear. Until there is a definitive end to this, people are gonna be really skittish. They're gonna be scared of eating in restaurants and dining rooms or next to other people who they can't trust. Today, a conversation with the San Francisco Chronicle's restaurant critic, Salejo, on the future of the Bay Area's restaurant industry. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to the Bay. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetta from Throughline. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The restaurant is very much a part of our national mythology. I think that we, you know, we see them as places where the cream can rise to the top undeterred. You know, uh, so many working class people, working class people who are immigrants, they start in the restaurant, start as dishwashers, for instance, and they work their way up and maybe they start to cook some food or serve some food up front. And then, you know, they move up and up and up because they're talented, they're hardworking, and maybe they'll own their own restaurant and become entrepreneurs and then create opportunities for other people and their children and so on and so forth. Now, I know operating a restaurant isn't easy, but how would you describe the state of the restaurant industry before the pandemic hit? So restaurants as a business tend to be really fragile. I think Anthony Bourdain wrote something to this degree in Kitchen Confidential. Um, But there's a saying where if you want to invest in a restaurant, you'll save money by throwing $10,000 into a lake. (laughs) They've always been really fragile operations. Their profit margins are so slim. They're paying rent, they're paying employees, hopefully what those employees are worth. You know, they're paying for food, for for products, for all of the, you know, creature comforts that make eating at a restaurant so valuable and fun. Mm -hmm. You know, on top of that, you can't charge more than let's say $5 for a coffee these days still, right? You can't charge $20 for a burrito, even if that cost accurately reflects the utilities, the rent, et cetera, all of that stuff. So they're sort of trapped um, in in this limbo state. So the costs are really high, but you know, there's a hard ceiling on what customers expect to pay, expect when they go to a restaurant, unless it's you know fancy high-end dining place. Right. A lot of restaurants only have expenses put away maybe for a day, a few days of bad business. But right now, what we're seeing, you know, during the coronavirus pandemic is that that's every day now. That's why so many places temporarily closed, because in order to, you know, pay for the utilities, pay for the ingredients, pay for the labor without dine-in service, it's just impossible. So on March 17th, Governor Gavin Newsom ordered all restaurants in California to stop dine-in services. And like you mentioned, many restaurants had already either closed or seen big drop-offs in business before that. So what has this meant for restaurants? So shelter in place means that, you know, dine-in service isn't happening. People aren't physically sitting in the restaurants to order food, you know, take their time, order drinks and wine. You know, it's just takeout. You know, the options that people have if they are running restaurants is, you know, fire your front of house, um, essentially, maybe keep a couple, a skeleton crew employed and um, hope that people will support you by ordering, you know, your food in a box or a bag. For a lot of restaurants that didn't have that infrastructure already in place, that's been a struggle, right? If they have a hard time, you know, getting delivery drivers in-house, they work with Companies like Caviar, DoorDash, or, you know, what have you, that take fees out of your profits, you know, um, 
Before London Breed, for example, the mayor of San Francisco put forth a limitation on those fees. Those fees could go upwards of 30% of your bill. Are there certain kinds of restaurants that are more, more vulnerable right now than others? So, yeah, restaurants that are franchises, that are chains or part of a group, are, you know, by nature less vulnerable because they have the insulation of the group. Um, you know, the Shake Shacks of the world, the Subways, like, they're going to be fine. It's those smaller ones, hmm. you know, the the, yeah. the middle ground, right? Fine dining is going to be like pretty okay. I mean, relatively okay because they have investors who will listen, who have been like really throwing in infusions yeah. of money or who have like really good connections, right? Like their their regulars or their patrons are, you know, well-connected, have a lot of money and are very willing to pitch in when times get tough, which is great. It's really good for them. It's the restaurants in the middle the mom and pops, the immigrant-owned restaurants that are outside of major cities, like they're the ones that are going to have a hard time, right? Or the restaurants that are owned and operated by undocumented mm -hmm. people, like they're going to have a really hard time because they don't qualify for any of the federal funds or loans or grants. There are some grants on a, on a municipal level that will cover that, but, you know, the supply is pretty right. thin compared yeah. to the demand. Do you have any sense of how many restaurants in the Bay Area have shut down, have closed? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't. But Is I it even possible to know this? It's really hard to know. Um, you know, I'm tracking permanent closures and I think those are trickling in, you know. I think what we're going to see is that a lot of the classic restaurants or the ones that we consider to be classic, right? Uh, the 30, 40, 50 year old restaurants they're going to be in a better position to close permanently. And, it, you know, better seems like a weird word to use, but they're the ones who are at the ends of their leases, right? So, like, they won't be on the hook for rent if oh, they decide yeah. to cut bait. But it's those one-year-old, two-year-old restaurants that are going to have a much harder time figuring this out because, you know, they might be on the hook for a 5, 10, 30-year lease. And what do you do? We've been talking about restaurants and, and, you know, restaurant owners, but I mean, the restaurant industry employs so many people. And I have friends who work in the restaurant industry and they're saying where they work, everybody's been laid off and there are very few openings right now. So just like the economic impact, not just of the restaurants themselves and people who own them, but the ripple effects of everybody who works in restaurants is just so immense. Right. Yeah. The National Labor Board statistics uh, say that 60% of the lost jobs in the past couple of months are in the restaurant, food, hospitality businesses. That That's incredible. That's a lot. Jeez. And, and it's not like those jobs are opening up too right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just incredible. And I mean, that's also, t if you have to take into consideration that people are having a really hard time even filing for unemployment. And this doesn't include undocumented people who don't qualify for unemployment insurance. Right, right. So the number is even bigger than that. Are restaurants getting any kind of help from the federal government, from state or local governments? Yeah. So um, how, do we, how do we sum up this tangled mess? <laughs> um, so the CARES Act, right, um, is a federal piece of legislation that got pushed through back in April. And, you know, it, it, uh, the, the crown jewel of it, right, was the Paycheck Protection Program for small businesses. Mm -hmm. Last month, I asked Congress to pass the Paycheck Protection Program, giving small businesses emergency economic relief to keep workers on the payroll. 
Four weeks ago, I was proud to sign it into law. We did that at a great ceremony with many of the people here. That money is supposed to go to, you know, all variety of small businesses with employees less than 500 people. You know, billions of dollars are in there, and it was conducted on a first-come, first-served basis. What that meant was applications were supposed to be open from, you know, the beginning of April till the end of June, and they closed the applications maybe three or four days after they opened. Um, the money ran out. Another thing the president is upset about is this end of the money for this small business program right now. The administration had a new small business program. The money ran out. They want a deal done by Congress. And they want it done today. CNN's Phil Madden. And then you see these big announcements by that. companies like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? And Shake Shack yeah. um, that yeah. say that they got, you know, $10 million <laughs> out, of, out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing like announcements of all these huge kind of corporate brands like you know, apologizing or just getting the money. Right. And, um, you know, now you're hearing that some of them are going to give it back. When the $350 billion fund ran out of money last week, Shake Shack decided to give the money back so restaurants who need the money most can have it. Big name chains like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and Jay Alexander have been criticized for taking millions of dollars from the fund. But there's other questions like if they give it back, will that money actually be released to people who applied or is it just going to go away? We don't know. So that federal stimulus money hasn't really been, you know, something that the restaurant industry can lean on right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many stipulations, too. These are loans that are forgivable, but they're forgivable based on some conditions that restaurants can't possibly meet. Like, can you just give me a couple examples? Sure. These loans, for instance, you know, 75 percent have to be used for payroll. So if you go into any restaurant budget, 75 percent is never going to be like how much payroll they're paying for a lot of restaurants in the Bay Area, for instance, like rent is a much bigger chunk of that pie. Oh, Um, yeah. So if they don't spend that money on payroll, then that portion of the money won't be forgivable, which means that they have to pay that back. Um, So it just doesn't work with the economics of running a restaurant. So how do you how do you see dine-in services coming back in the future? You know, I think this is really contingent on a lot of external factors. Will there be a vaccine? Um, when will there be a ba- vaccine? When will people get the protective gear that they need, right? Uh, mm-hmm. How are we possibly going to to actually, you know, materially and like really meaningfully end the impact of COVID-19. Um, I think until then, until there is, you know, definitive, a definitive end to this, people are going to be really skittish. You know, they're, they're going to be scared of eating in um, restaurants and dining rooms or next to other people who they can't trust, um, who they have no idea like where they've been or who they've been with or all of that stuff. You know, we're super aware of all that now. And I think that for the foreseeable future, at least, you know, into next year, takeout and delivery are going to be a huge part of the way people experience restaurants. Restaurants that can bring in, like, private parties, you know, and in San Francisco, that's a really important part of the economy, too, is private parties, right? Uh, Corporate parties, that sort of thing, Mm. where everyone knows each other, everyone, you know, can trust each other. I think that would be successful.
you mentioned, I mean, we've talked about like some changes to the to the business model of restaurants that, that have been happening because of COVID. So when you consider the business model of restaurants before COVID and the ways they're changing now, do you see any way that it can be better? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that a cooperative model would make more sense for a lot of these places, um, especially for aspiring owners who don't have a ton of capital, who don't have traditional links to banks or, mm-hmm. you know, credit. Um, and what is a cooperative model? What does that look so, like? Yeah. So there's restaurants in the Bay Area like Cheeseboard, for instance, right, in Berkeley or mm-hmm. Arismendi, the bakery, um, Tamarack in Oakland that are cooperatives. And that means that they're worker owned. You know, the 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 burden of running the restaurant is evenly distributed. Um, It's not contingent on one person's credit line or relationship to the banks or what have you. And decisions are made collectively, right, for the good of all the employees because this is their their baby, right? Uh, They own it. So any sort of disaster that happens, like there's more of a, it's more spread out. What about changes in, in customer behavior? Do you have any optimism that that we come out of this and people realize how important it is to support, you know, your local businesses, your local restaurants, and, and you know, they buy into the changes that restaurants might have to make because of what's happening? This might be like sample, sample bias or whatever, but as soon as shelter in place went into effect, I got so many inquiries in my inbox Um DMs and emails and everything from readers, just random people who wanted to know how they could support restaurants ethically and, you know, meaningfully. So, you know, from day one, people on the ground have been really invested in making sure restaurants survive this. So I don't think that's going to go away. Yeah. It says a lot about what people feel about, you know, the role of restaurants and, and food in their lives. I think. Right. Or just what kind of world they want to live in, what kind of yeah. city they want to live in. Right. Um, they don't want to live in a city that's just sweet, green and Shake Shack. You know, I think everyone's being so responsible and being so thoughtful. Everyone in the restaurant industry. Right. Um, so I guess the question is, like, how how do we reward that as a society? How do we repay them? On Friday, during Governor Gavin Newsom's daily press conference, he said the state is getting close to making some serious changes to the shelter-in-place order, including allowing some retail and restaurants to open under special circumstances. We've got teams of people working not just internally but externally uh, to look at each type uh, of business within each type of industry. Uh, and looking at sectoral and individual uh, uh, augmentation and guidelines that will be necessary and a requirement of any meaningful uh, reopening. Newsom added that he could announce these modifications as early as this week. And we'll have to see whether restaurant owners, workers, and customers will feel comfortable with these changes too. Salejo is the San Francisco Chronicle's restaurant critic. And just a heads up, she's hosting a new food podcast that comes out in June with her colleague Justin Phillips. It's called Extra Spicy. And I also highly recommend following her on Twitter. We'll leave you a link in our show notes. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next time. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. <laughs> 